Poor health outcomes can be determined by social forces and structures outside of patients' control. In medicine itself, even bureaucratic structures that appear to be functioning properly can inadvertently inflict disproportionate harm on certain patients. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Scott Stonington, an Assistant Professor of Anthropology at the University of Michigan and an internal medicine physician. As part of the journal's Case Studies in Social Medicine series, Dr. Stonington has co-authored a perspective article about structural iatrogenesis and what physicians can do when they recognize structures that systematically harm patients. Dr. Stonington, to begin, can you explain what you mean by the term structural iatrogenesis? We often in medicine use the word iatrogenesis to mean medical errors that we make, usually when we deviate from algorithms or when there are just pure logistical errors that happen. And we brought the term to clinical audiences because we wanted to point out that the structures that we build in medicine, meaning health systems, insurance systems, and then even the smaller things of our own clinics and our own practices, which become routinized and built into forms of bureaucracy of their own, can actually harm patients by how we design them if we're not careful paying attention to how they affect different groups of people. So in your perspective article, you described the case of a man with severe rheumatoid arthritis who'd been receiving low-dose acetaminophen hydrocodone for years with no evidence of opioid use disorder, but ultimately he began purchasing oxycodone illegally because it was becoming more and more difficult for him to obtain and fill his prescriptions. So what were the structural elements that affected this patient's access to treatment? So I, I have a feeling that many clinicians will find this familiar as a scenario since we're in both a crisis and a moving landscape with opiate pain medication management in this country. And there were many different structures, starting with a sense that opiates were leading to negative outcomes for patients, and that part of what those negative outcomes came from was patients using opiates in ways other than how they were prescribed. And so starting five, six, eight, depending on where, we, where you are in the United States, years ago, people began screening urine for other substances, screening urines to see whether patients were taking all of their medications, and also requiring more frequent contact with providers in order to monitor people closely who are on opiate pain medications. And all of those things putatively were intended to make these medications safer for patients, but they were designed on an imagined patient that could devote their life to interacting with the healthcare system come into clinic every month or every two weeks, frequent visits to pharmacies, et cetera. And so those same procedures that in many clinics are delivered without exception and in kind of an algorithmic way can be damaging to certain patients whose lives don't look like that. So in this case, our intention was to show to clinicians something that we had observed, which was the ways in which structures that are put in place to protect patients can actually harm patients who don't fit the imaginary of what that clinic usually serves. So are there other examples of structures within the healthcare system that can be harmful? Where else is structural iatrogenesis a concern? So once I've noticed, and I am trained somewhat to do this, but I've even noticed in teaching that when people start looking for structural iatrogenesis, it's a framework that helps make sense of all sorts of things happening in the medical system, and you can see it everywhere. I tend to think of it through outpatient primary care clinic contexts, because that's where most of my practice is. So in our clinic, for example, we have a schedule that is incentivized by our 
organizing physician group body that determines how often we see patients, how long we have with them. We have a certain amount of time for a new patient visit, a certain amount of time for a complete physical, for a hospital follow-up. All of those procedures are totally necessary for running a clinic. But those same procedures, while they work for some people, can be actually, I'll use the word violent, they can be incredibly violent to other patients. So for example, we have at our clinic a lateness policy that if you come more than 15 minutes late to a visit, it derails the day for all the other patients and the provider ends up behind. So it harms other patients. But many of our patients in my clinic, which is a safety net clinic in Southeast Michigan, don't have control over transportation. They don't have control over work schedules. They often have somewhat chaotic social worlds that they live in where there are multiple people dependent on them and they are dependent on multiple other people. And so that imagined, very organized person who comes to appointments always on time and has a predictable life simply doesn't fit the lives of the people we want to serve. So with that policy, we're cutting out exactly the people who we're aiming to take care of in our clinic. So the, the, that's a, a long example, but the short answer is that you can see structural iatrogenesis pretty much everywhere you look in clinical medicine. And the operative question then is, which of those things are under clinician's control and how do you start to figure out how to work your way out of them or to fix them? So there's evidence of that in the case that you describe in your article. Many of the structures that you talk about were instituted to protect patients who are at risk for opioid use disorder. But they weren't beneficial for this particular patient because he lacked transportation, he had to work at a job that involved painful manual labor. How can physicians identify which patients could be harmed by these kinds of structural forces? I think an important component of this, and this is a common theme to a lot of the social medicine cases in this series, is that patients have a huge amount of expertise about the structure of their own lives. It's a slightly different framing than thinking about respecting patients' narratives or holding space for people's making sense of their illness and the sorts of cultural competence frameworks that we've developed in medicine. Instead, this is talking about a form of expertise that patients have, meaning if you ask a patient how a policy is affecting them, they will probably be able to tell you very clearly and also with a great deal of insight and detail about how their life is interfacing with a policy in a clinic or how their interactions with an insurance company are affecting their access to medication or how a particular insurance plan with a deductible is affecting their medical decision-making about whether they seek care or not. So an initial step, I think, is always just to notice that there's something going wrong and then to ask patients where it's coming from. And I would say nine times out of 10, they'll give a really clear answer that is a starting point to work with. Finally, you talk in your article about several potential strategies that physicians can use when they identify cases of structural iatrogenesis, including bending policies according to particular context, addressing implicit agendas. What can physicians do when the structural problems seem to be entrenched and they're in systems that are beyond the control of individual physicians? Well, that's an interesting question. And we selected this case partly because it showed a problem that clinicians could easily imagine themselves not only encountering, but also managing and doing something about but it's true that many of the structural forces in medicine are much larger than individual clinic policies. But 
in our ethnography, so our living with and studying with clinicians and understanding how they make decisions and navigate patient care, we actually find that most clinicians spend a lot of their time figuring out how to circumvent policies that are in their patient's way or actually, more importantly, in the way of their own care and decision-making. So many clinicians act as advocates all the time, but they don't necessarily have a vocabulary for identifying how the problems that they're seeing are systemic or systematically abusing certain patients over others. So I think that taking that next step of having this framework, this word of calling it a structural harm that is coming from the bureaucracy of medicine can be an important way of organizing beyond just that sort of individual advocacy that that clinicians have to saying, okay, this insurance company's structure is causing a large number of our patients to not come for primary care because of their large deductible. Is there something systematic that we can do about that? It may not be changing the structures of capitalism and for-profit insurance industries, but it may be more at the level of at our clinic system level, is there something we could do about changing how we reimburse or pay for or charge for primary care visits to make sure that that's not the thing that people don't come for? So my summary of that is that clinicians are doing this all the time, but it can help to have a framework to organize at a slightly larger level beyond just individual advocacy. Thank you, Dr. Stonington.